0: Hello and welcome to Academy Conversations Uncut, a podcast of rare Q and A's with the world's foremost filmmakers, hosted by the Academy and released for the first time to the public, unedited. Today's panel was recorded in October, 2017 at the Samuel Goldwyn Theater in Beverly Hills, California. Discussing the Academy Award-winning movie, Blade Runner 2049, a neo-noir science fiction sequel where a new Blade Runner discovers a long-buried secret that threatens to destabilize society, we were joined by production designer, Dennis Gassner, cinematographer, Roger Deakins, producer, Roderick Johnson, actors, Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling, and director, Denis Villeneuve. The panel was hosted by Rebecca Keegan. Here's Rebecca. Good evening, everyone. My name is Rebecca
1: Keegan. I am the Hollywood correspondent for Vanity Fair. And I am delighted to be able to welcome to the stage the makers of Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Please help me welcome production designer Dennis Gassner. Cinematographer Roger Deakins. Producer, Broderick Johnson, Harrison Ford, Ryan Gosling, and the director of the film, Denis Villeneuve. Denis, what role did the original Blade Runner play in your life? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's a movie that I discovered at uh, at a mo- very precise moment when I, I was starting to dream about uh, the possibility of uh, being a director, discovering what was the job of a director, and uh, I think it's like for me it's like a very strong example of a, a strong director's vision, and, and it's like a movie that aesthetically also blew my mind. At the time, I was really angry for. Uh, um, Strong, serious science fiction, you know, and there's not a, a lot of very strong, sci-fi movies, and and uh, that one was really aesthetically blew my mind, and uh, it's a master of work. I mean, yeah.
1: Broderick, what was the process of getting the rights to make the sequel?
3: Um, the the original uh, film was owned by Jerry Perincia and Bud Yorkin. And um, Cynthia Yorkin and, and Bud uh, convinced him to sell him, uh, sell them uh, his half of remakes. Not remakes. I'm sorry. Uh, sequels, prequels, television, all rights except the original movie and remakes because no one would ever do that. So um, they then went through a process of shopping around. We met them and we. Hit it off with them, and um, you know we were coming off of Blindside in Book of Eli, and we decided to take a chance on it.
1: Um, Harrison, when you were sent the script, what was your reaction to the idea of returning to this character?
4: Um, I was uh, delighted to be involved. Once I had a chance to read the script and see what the opportunities were for. Uh, taking advantage of, um, the audience's, um, knowledge of Deckard that the, that came from the first film and, uh, progressing the character and, and bringing that character into relationships that I thought were, um, powerfully emotional and, and so it, uh, it seemed like a great opportunity at the at the first uh, first time I was involved Ridley was meant to direct it and then uh, uh, when Denny became involved um, we met and talked about it and I was really excited about it
1: um, Roger I understand you and Denny had a really kind of intense session. Creating the storyboards for this film in a, in a, basically in a hotel room in Canada. Can you talk a little bit about what your early work, early ideas
5: were? Well, it started then, and it's a much longer process. It wasn't like, and it, one intense session. It started <laughs> yeah. in like September two thousand and fifteen, <laughs> and went on to the, like the last day of prep before shooting. So yeah. it was quite a long old process. I, I mean, we started off just basically going through the script and. Thinking well, how are we going to visualize this? You know, and Dennis was on board, and you know we just gradually kind of worked it through. We all found different references of different things and discussed different ideas about the look and the architecture and the atmosphere, and you know it's just you know spitballing, as they call it over here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Dennis, California in 2049 looks like a horrible place to live. How did you make it that way? <laughs>
6: uh, when I first met Denny, I, I asked him uh, a fairly simple question. I said, "Can you give me one word that describes uh, the movie?" And and uh, he paused and he said, "Brutality." And I said, "Okay, great. <laughs> That's a good start." So um, we took that word and we basically started with the spinner, because that was going to be the, the language that was going to reflect on a lot of what the movie looked like. And uh, um, obviously respecting the original film. And, and uh, we arrived at, uh, at something that I thought was, uh, was very compatible, but it was certainly singular to, to ourselves as well, too.
2: Basically the truth is that the movie is a revenge from Canada. <laughs> I mean, we are so jealous of your climate that we decided
0: to
1: <laughs> So Ryan, you were right at home in this brutal landscape. What was it like to to work among these among these sets?
7: <clears throat> yeah, well, I said to Denis, I asked him to describe in one word what it would be like, and he said, "There's snow." (laughs) And I said, "I'm in." Oh yeah, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That I can do. Um, Look, the the sets were really uh, the the level uh, to which they had committed to this vision, you know, to walk, you know, onto these sets and and uh, you know. uh, I remember one day there was a it was a, a third of a page. It was like my character walks up to a desk, and I assumed I would just go to work and walk up to a desk, but they had turned an entire soundstage into into a one desk. It was just, it was so massive. And after Roger had lit it, and uh, it it was, I, it was beautiful, but I was confused. You know, I said to Denise, "Isn't this scene just you know like?" three quarters of a page you know <laughs> and he said uh, but it's, it's in the movie isn't it and i said yeah yes <laughs> well then it, it you know it has to it has to operate under the same rules as everything else so you know it was a it was a real experience to uh, to work on that scale with this level of craftsmanship and and artistry and to really f- physically inhabit this what felt like a, a functioning universe in a lot of ways.
1: Denny, one of the, the many really kind of remarkably ambitious sequences is the Las Vegas nightclub, um, where we see a fight scene against these holograms of Elvis. It's bonkers. Can you just take us through the ideas? And Roger, perhaps if you could talk a little bit about how you possibly lit that.
2: Well, I, will, I think it's like a. Um it's a, the answer can be quite long because it was a, not an easy process to, to it's, yeah, it's, uh, to uh, find. I, it, basically for me, my job was to make sure that the actors and I will have the space to, to uh, create together in what will be a very uh, choreographed and precise, precise environments where Roger will have to, in advance, months in advance, design light patterns uh, that will go with the music, and uh, uh, to cover, to have the holograms, all the hologram choreograph in advance. It uh, that was one of the difficult sequence of the movie from a logistic point of view.
1: Roger, what? How did you approach it?
5: Well, it's, I mean, it's really. It's like all the scenes. The thing. the, the glory about storyboarding is you sort of have a a game plan for it and obviously with a scene like that it was I was in in prep I'd done a uh, a, you know previs on the computer of the lighting and a sort of like cartoon characters walking around the space that Dennis had designed Um, so there was a built-in kind of lighting rig that you know this team put in like a week before we actually shot the scene but then you've always got to think it's not you don't want to be locked to that kind of you know, you don't want to be locked to those storyboards. So you've got to build in flexibility. So if, you know, once the scene's blocked with the actors, it might not be the same as you worked out 11 weeks previously on a piece of paper, you know. So, but um, it's basically, that's, that's the balance you have to do with any scene, you know.
1: Harrison, what was it like to shoot that fight scene in among the Elvis mm. and lights? <laughs>
4: <laughs> it was uh it was uh, complicated it, I, I mean that what i hadn't reckoned on was that um, uh, the lights would make it hard to see um, uh, where ryan was <laughs> <laughs> And he he dances forward a lot better than he dances backwards. (laughs) So I hit him uh, pretty hard one time. No, it was it was was complicated. Uh, Complicated to to fit in between them and uh, also to get a sense of the hologram. Although we had a live Elvis impersonator uh, <laughs> For our <her> amusement, uh,
3: <laughs>
4: but it was fun. Uh, it, it was fun,
1: <laughs> Ryan. Was it fun for you?
7: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: Broderick, this is a, a very big movie for your company, Alcon, to make. Why did you guys decide to bet on such a such a big and such an ambitious film?
3: Well, <laughs> I, I think it was a combination of things. Um, one, we never would have really jumped off this bridge unless we had yeah, come up with what we thought was a very compelling story to tell and a very um, a movie that could stand on its own yet still live up to the quality of the first film which we we felt like the brand the brand of blade runner is quality and and it set so many standards and and artistry and all the rest of it that in order to actually do it we were like we have to we have to strive to be you know the best that we can be so um once once we had the rights, we went and saw Ridley. And he was very enthusiastic to jump on board. He certainly had been waiting for many years to try to untangle the rights. And so he and Hampton then got together and came up with the, the basic core of the story. And Michael Green came on, wrote a screenplay. and. You know, Ridley had been speaking to Harrison uh, periodically, and then he read the script and was on board. So, you know, once the train starts going, it's, it, it's, it's, it's very exciting, it's very exhilarating. And then um, Ridley couldn't, at the time that we wanted to start, he couldn't start. And so we all agreed to try to get um, another director, and we got Denis. You know, we had worked with Denis and Roger on Prisoners. And, you know, love that It's one of our favorite experiences. And, um, you know, once we got the, the core together here, it, it's been one of the best experiences we've ever had on a movie. It, it was everyone's passion and, you know, devotion. Even the Elvis guy was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he was all in. <laughs> so um, every, everyone really Cared about what we were doing and and it's it's you know, and for us we 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 felt like the art was going to be the commerce, so it just needed to be a great movie
1: mm. Denny, you have people seeing this movie this weekend who have probably seen the original Blade Runner a hundred times, and then you have people seeing it who've never seen it and are not familiar with the world. Mm. How did you think about your potential audience and what kind of knowledge they would bring to this story.
2: Yeah, that was one of the, uh, how do you find the right equilibrium so the people who are like Blade Runner expert will be uh, uh, excited and will understand the logic. And, and uh, people that don't know nothing about it, like my mother, for instance, <laughs> will, uh, uh, <laughs> will <laughs> still enjoy the movie. Yeah. So it was uh, an equilibrium uh, that uh, we found uh, in the screenwriting. Then screen uh, writing process and uh, made sure that um, uh, people would get all the keys with the the prologue and uh, that will they will all the keys will be there to understand the movie even if you had not seen the first one. Uh, saying this, it, it's standalone, but saying this, I think that it's a, it's a, you enjoy it more if you see the first movie. You saw the first movie, honestly. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. One of the many uh, remarkable sets, Dennis, is the office of Jared Leto's character, Wallace. Can you talk about what went into creating that, what the thinking was? It actually looks like kind of a zen-like place to work if you're not a mastermind of evil.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Well, zen, yes. Um, I I told Danny a a little story. When I was in Kyoto, I, I went to. An amazing temple, and in the they the woodwork and the flooring had been uh, um, put together in a very loose pattern, so that at night, if anybody walked on the um, walked on the floor, the floor would squeak. It was kind of an alarm system. And I said, you know, we have a character who's blind, and and why don't we think about kind of water, a water theme, so that the sound coming off of the water could be. An element, and uh, and you know also, uh, so that became the kind of the genesis of an idea. We threw it around a lot, and then we we developed the scale. With that scale, was in a really important part of the film as well. The, The the size of of from the original film to to our film needed to be represented, and the scale was, I think, a really important part. And then, of course, you know, Roger came in and. And lit it beautifully. You know, we had this kind of between between the whole team here. Everybody collaborated in some particular way to develop it to make it unique to itself. And and uh, and also, I mean, to me, it it was uh, one of the more beautiful scenes. I think you know to to have that quality.
2: If I may add, is that uh, it's like. um we had construct uh, that that set uh, because the character is blind, so he's like stimulations for his eyes and the uh, the sound and the, and uh, it was like a, a lot of uh, sessions of drawings. Then we construct the set and that gigantic pool around it, and to go there, sometimes the crew was using small boats. You know, it's like <laughs> and then Jared Leto decided to play blind for real. <laughs> So it means that very often, the way I was directing Jared, I said, you're going to walk six foot in that direction, six steps in that direction. Then you turn, and you make nine steps in that direction. And then you stop. Because otherwise, <laughs> I was always afraid that Jared at one point would just <laughs> uh Denny, you can't tell
1: what's. CG and what's in camera what was your strategy in terms of the visual effects
2: well, the first thing that we all decided uh, right at the start is that uh, that we will construct as much set uh, as possible so um, the actors will be inspired by the set and they will have to focus on the and their uh, and on their character and not in on into the environment um, also for uh, I will say if I may Roger for for you and I it was like a way to uh, we storyboard everything but we love also when an actor bring an idea or bring there's something that sparks and on the morning to to readjust ourselves and and very often there are strong images that are coming spontaneously on set and i didn't want uh, when you are in a virtual environment surrounded by green screens you don't have that uh, spontaneity you don't have that relationship with acting and and uh, the camera, and uh, so uh, it was important for me to have. Uh, and I'm very grateful that the production decided to follow to support that idea to construct all the sets. Uh, also, it was a way to control the atmospheres because uh, we were constructing the sets, like uh, an apartment, for an, as an example. If there's a window, we will build the other street on the other side, and then the rain in between would be real. So Roger will be able to control the light, the light in in between and. This way it means that there's tons of uh, CGI in the movie, but it's always two ends in the background, or are little elements that are... uh, um, And uh, I think that the fact that it looks that real is, there's two things for me, first of all, all the artists, CGI artists that work on this movie, most of them, their Bible, the way they were brought to the cinema, uh, uh, that's passion for one of their favorite movies of all time is Blade Runner of them their level of commitment was so huge and the other thing about cg is that at the end of the day is light it's about light and the way you lit with the computer and the backgrounds like so it's all roger master you know the way blended the vfx with uh, that's uh, i would say um
1: ryan one of the scenes that Reveals uh, I think a bit about your characters. the one where you go and visit the woman whose job it is to create uh, Memories, it's really kind of a remarkable scene. Can you talk a little bit about shooting that and working with that actress?
7: Yeah, the actress's name is Carla jury Yuri <coughs> That's a common joke, sorry no. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um,
7: She um, <laughs> Is it Yuri? It says Yuri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Canada we say Yuri. Um, you know, that was um, that was a scene that actually we had m- many. We had a few different endings for that scene.
2: There was like. Uh yeah, there was like two because it's a very, 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 very tricky scene, very delicate moment. What do you reveal? Reveal. What is tricky with a scene like that is that you need to make sure that the scene is bulletproof. For if someone sees the movie a second time, a third time, that all the clues are there. But if you see it for the first time, you cannot guess what what is the, what are those clues. If it makes sense. So, well, she but it was your such
7: question. a wonderful. Um such a wonderful performance you know it was such a pleasure working with her and she just uh you know i didn't know her very well beforehand and obviously we're working between glass and it's in massive set and there's lots of uh um, you know uh, going to be cgi involved in it and uh, a lot of technical things that have got in in the way of of what was supposed to be an important scene emotionally for the characters but um i remember when we were filming the moment where she's looking at our shared memory and she gives that performance and it was just like um really um a gift to the film because that scene the the movie was in a lot of ways hinging in that on that moment and um it's just a very um effortless performance from her it was just so pure and and really important to the film so it was exciting when when that happened because i I, I felt like okay, you know, the, the movie has this. Um, the movie needed that, you know, and she, and she brought that. So it's a pleasure to work with her.
3: I would say that's <clears throat> one of the most complicated scenes in the entire movie. Hmm. I mean, there's, you know, there's action scenes in this, that, and the other, but that 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 scene. My, my partner Andrew and I certainly, from. The moment the first draft came in through all the various drafts through pre production through the day of shooting into editorial to the final cut, there was always debate going on about that scene. How much do you reveal how much of the backstory is there you know um what is Ryan's emotional give and take there you know who who knows what in that scene and so that that was a very complicated scene that I'm I'm very proud of how they ended up executing
7: also a scene about authenticity you know she's so authentic that she needs to be kept in this behind glass because she's so special in this world and my character is searching for his own authenticity desperately wanting to be that and uh you know but it all hinges on an authentic performance you know and 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 she she gave that in this really, really beautiful way.
1: Well, thank you. That seems like a good place to leave it. Thank you so much, gentlemen.
0: Thanks for listening to Academy Conversations Uncut. We hope you enjoyed this unique access to a members-only Q&A at the Academy. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe and help us reach film lovers around the world. This podcast was produced by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences.